वेलकम टू द हिंदूज पॉडकास्ट वेलकम टू पाले द वीकली डिस्कशन प्रोग्राम ऑफ द हिंदू टूडे वी विल डिस्कस इंडिया मिलिट्री रिफॉर्म्स आर्ग्यूएबली द मोस्ट फंडामेंटल ओवरऑल ऑफ द मिलिट्री कमांड स्ट्रक्चर विथ फोकस ऑन फ्लाई सर्विस इंटीग्रेशन एंड ऑन ज्वाइंट ऑपरेशन The emphasis on jointness has also led to backward integration. In the entire exercise, the Chief of Defence Staff, General Bipin Rawat, is on the top of the tree. The restructuring of the military has completely overhauled the civil-military relationship, with far greater powers in decision making to the armed forces as never before. To discuss these issues and more, I'm happy to be joined. by two eminent experts vice admiral madanjit singh the former head of the western naval command more formally the flag officer commanding in chief western naval command admiral singh was also a member of the task force for the review of the management of defense set up after the 1999 kargil war we also have with us anit mukherjee a former army officer who is the assistant professor at the Rajaratnam School of International Studies in Singapore he is also the author of the book the absent dialogue politicians bureaucrats and the military in india which focuses on civil military relations i am atul aneja strategic affairs editor of the hindu welcome to the show gentlemen If I can start with you, Admiral Singh, could you give us a bit of a background of this attempt at tri-service integration uh, after the Kargil War, and perhaps with the coming of the 1998 nuclear test? But you, since you were the, a member of the task force, what were the takeaways uh, of uh, of decisions or themes which rolled out of that exercise? First of all, you know, uh, uh, post Kargil, Sri K. Subramaniam, and uh, yeah. assisted by Jaskeet Singh, had conducted a initial, uh, uh, you know, analysis of uh, of what happened in uh, in Kargil, uh, and suggested to the government of the day that the, you know the four task forces should be set up, and more specifically for the higher defence organisation. the several weaknesses had become uh, more evident and stark uh, yeah. including for most being the jointness in the conduct of operations and hence uh, right. the task force was set up which highlighted what are the various weaknesses and uh, besides the jointness there were several other connected issues you know why are we the biggest importer of armament the age profile of people who are in combat right. uh, the command structures and so on and so forth so we We did lay down uh, a clear concept. Let me say, uh, yeah. You know, how, how do we tackle this? Because our structures till then had been, you know, post-colonial past uh, uh, structures. There was some tweaking here and there, but nothing serious. And uh, so time was ripe to do this. And right. we did suggest various options. Uh, we looked at various options. And by the way, we consulted a lot of the. all the surviving 16 of them former chiefs of staff of all services including uh, you know former defense secretaries cabinet secretaries who, who had looked at it 
uh, yeah. in some way or the other, but not collect. Uh, so, uh, apart from looking inward, I mean, as I understand, this was a very comprehensive review of the yes. entire structure of uh, of, of uh, command yes. structure of the Indian Armed Forces, yeah. with yeah. a focus no, on. Price service integration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was the main focus, but there was a, a, a tenant issue which we'll come to as we as we progress this uh, chat. Sure, sure, and I'll bring sure, it out. Sure. Yeah. Uh, also, I just want uh, to put your brains on the nuclear dimension which had come in by the time we had the 1999 Cargill War because we also had uh, no first use doctrine coming in. Uh, also, the need to have a nuclear triad. Uh, did that also feed into the urgency for establishing a unified higher command? Yes, it did. And as a matter of fact, the thought uh, was at that time that we keep the strategic uh, uh, assets um, uh, separate from the conventional assets in in terms of structure and in terms of who would be on the uh, you know national command authority and who would advise and how the entire process of you know, moving that forward should the requirement come through the three service chiefs. We had laid down the the concept for that. And that, of course, has been subsequently developed to what it is right now. And yes, yeah. we did look at it, but we did. The main point was that we will keep the, uh, the, nu- the, 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 the nuclear command authority, the, whoever is the service member, in this case, the CDS, from the conventional forces. Right. Idea being that... that you know, we had this issue in the mindset when you're talking about civil-military relations that uh, we don't want too powerful a military man you know, con- who controls all all the assets. Basically, that was the fear, which was unfounded yeah. in my uh, my view. But then that was the main idea behind uh, why we wanted to keep it separate. So by that time, you know, you talked about the National Command Authority. So that was a, a recommendation. Or did it yes. already come out by year 2000? And what about the strategic nuclear forces command? Or that's a later development. At your time, no, it was basically... No, 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 no we did. As, as DGDPS, I, I did develop on the basic uh, structure, the concept which got refined subsequently because I moved on to some other assignment. But yes, it that thought was given that uh, this will be the... The, the the concept of the uh, you know the strategic forces command structure and yeah. and it featured in that report because we we had thought of two uh, well we said uh, theater commands one is strategic force command other was the Andaman command right. those those did feature in the task force report excellent uh, uh, Anit if I could come to you uh, just to uh, get a perspective on the latest uh, reforms which have taken place. Uh, what do you think uh, are the factors, you know, beyond what uh, Admiral Singh has just said, which have gone into shaping it? I mean, what was, what specific, if, if, uh, if you were to just get a perspective, uh, what were the specific inputs uh, which the Modi government introduced in its construction of this CDS apex model? Uh, I was just wondering, if the threat perception uh, also changed or, or, or understanding of the threat perception changed and did China feed into the government's thinking while uh, it, it uh, thought through this latest set of reforms which have been announced? Atul, uh, uh, it's a pleasure to be on this show, especially along with Admiral Singh, who has played a very important part, um, as you said, in the 2000 one 
Farms Initiative. Um, to answer your question, I do not think anybody knows what specifically went into why did they create CDS as they have yeah. done so now. If it was the China factor, you could have argued that they should have done that when they first came to power, um, when he first won the elections in 2014, right? And, yeah. and yeah. even at that point of time, he had he had made speeches about, you know, I'm going to have a defense reorganization, jointness, to to tail kind of yeah. issue. And it was it was even um, in the press, there was a lot of speculation that they would create a CDS, but they did not do that in the first term. So the bigger question is, why didn't they do it in the first term if the China threat was a factor, right? So yeah. perhaps we can take a conjecture that it could have been the Duklam crisis. Perhaps it could have been the Balakot crisis. Perhaps it could have been an assessment by the prime minister that, look, we need to bring in these changes because otherwise we are not that effective or not that efficient, right? So efficient is from the financial perspective. But to answer your question, I do not think we really know why did the Prime Minister go in for this change at this point of time, specifically. Yeah, especially, uh, yeah please go ahead. And specifically, and specifically the way he went about doing it, which is not just a CDS, but on top of that to create this this new office that I haven't heard of before or I, or I haven't seen it discussed anywhere before in any of the past previous defense reforms process. It is not right. a part of the of the CDE, of the Committee on Defense Expenditure, which was there in 1890. It was not a part of the Cargill Review Committee. It was not a part of the 2001 uh, GOM report. It was not a part of the Naresh Chandra Committee. So as far as I know, I haven't heard or read any scholarship on this newfound office of DMA. And so yeah, I think Department of Military Affairs. Uh, right. And so yeah, I think okay. it's a fair question to ask is why did the Prime Minister go in for both these initiatives? And frankly, the answer to that is I don't know. Uh, great. <laughs> I'd like to comment on that. Yeah, you know, yeah, please go ahead. Interesting to hear Amit say that I, I, I agree entirely with him. It was not the China factor. I think it was uh, more, let me put it, and he did allude to it, that it was more the uh, financial aspect. You see, now we, uh, we, you, we all heard in the past that we do the services people anyway that we don't get enough money, and the budget, yeah. you know, been going up and down here and there despite the GDP yeah. growth. But the point is, are we spending our money sensibly? So I think this issue came. Uh, right. I think it's more led by financial constraints, and everyone. I mean, we all heard some. We've heard a Navy, okay, I'll start with the Navy. One Navy chief said we need a 300-chip Navy. Uh, one Air Force chief said we need a 65-squadron uh, Air Force. And one Army chief said we are to prepare for a two-and-a-half front, uh, you know, scenario. Uh, all this put together makes us, makes people sit back and think that, look, hello, what is it that we want? I mean, the, 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 the concept, I wouldn't say the concept, the nature of warfare has changed. We are having more asymmetric warfare. We are having more, you know, standalone. We are having more automated warfare. And what is it that we want for the future? I think this issue, uh, besides the political dimensions of which, which I shall keep clear of the political part, uh, <laughs> not my, uh, <laughs> is I think led to the issue of uh, uh, having taken the decision, which should have come. 
but i think the the personalities involved in which led to decision uh, have uh, lent a bit of political uh, dimension to uh, in the armed forces in the past as junior officers we never discussed politics now i think this format of it then yeah, everyone yeah. Has, and everyone is more conscious of politically what is happening so that is i think hasten up this decision i should have I, I think that's a great point that the practical financial uh, implications or, or, or duplications which were going on, and probably yes. there was a wastage of financial resources. So he needed to get it all together, and uh, you know, get the maximum uh, bang for the buck, uh, so to speak. If I, oh, I if I could quickly, uh, I have just one small point, in, and I want both of you to react uh, apart from this, uh, and it is is. that we saw signs of integration even earlier with the formation of the defense policy committee i'm not sure we got the got it right uh, the name you know this no, formation no. of a new organization which has also the foreign uh, element into it that is from the mea we also have from the finance guys we have uh, the home ministry armed forces the intelligence all being integrated into one large decision making that perhaps i'm not sure whether that's a signal the entire thinking is that you know we got to not look in silos but you have to take a integrated view of your threats which may be financial which may be economic or which may be military and then come together uh, and to have a cohesive and a comprehensive response so do you think uh, there were signs of it uh, outside the specifics of the appointment of the cds which indicated that this government is working more towards integration probably in far focused manner than perhaps it was done uh, uh, before and uh, uh, arith you want to respond yeah 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 firstly um i think it's it is important on that last point which we all talked about that this is still a matter of conjecture that it was financial consideration that led to the creation of the cds because as far as i know that is something that the three of us just spoke about but it still is a conjecture i think it will be worthwhile to look into this point in detail and perhaps somebody at some point of time if he or she has an audience with the prime minister should ask him this question of why did you create the cds at this point of time uh, so i think it's important to say that look we are just conjecturing that it could be financial considerations it's not a settled debate now on to the issue that you raised you're right in saying that this new found organization that they have created this department of military affairs seems to be a concerted effort to bring in integration in part because previous attempts at integration did not work in the 80s you had the defense planning uh, the dpg uh, which was created by arun singh which was actually undermined by the services because they didn't want it to succeed because among the the first tasks of this organization was inter services prioritization which the services did not want it to happen even afterwards you had the created of the integrated defense staff which again was opposed by the single services which are approached to their uh, they are attached to their approach right and third example is look at the creation of the andaman and nicobar joint command i have interviewed some of the people and admiral singh was associated with this so perhaps he can also can of come in on this I have interviewed a few of the people who were the architects of the Andaman Nicobar Joint Command and I think the understanding of that was that this was an experiment and a template for replication to create further mm-hmm. joint commands 
And the Navy, yeah. and all credit to them, the Navy gave up Fortran command to create that, okay, we are going to allow this experiment to succeed because in some ways the Navy is the most forward looking of all three of the services. And I say that as an ex-army man, right? And so uh, yeah. I perhaps might not be invited to the next army officer mess function, <laughs> but I will still say that. Right? Exactly which is, that. Yeah. Okay. Which yeah. is that this this Andaman Nicobar Joint Command was not allowed to succeed by the three services because they were afraid that if this experiment succeeds, they'll create further joint command. So they did not share assets with it. They did not post their best officers on it. And I've done a book chapter that examines it that says that this experiment was basically killed by the services. And so perhaps, yeah. perhaps this has been a learning over the years and the civilian, like the leadership, prime minister downwards have gone in and said, look, we are going to go big. We are going to, you know, we are, we are going to play hard. We are going to create not the permanent chairman chiefs of staff because there was some talk of creating a permanent chairman chiefs of staff, which perceptually at least would not have been as powerful as the CDS. So I yeah, would give yeah. full credit to this government that they have created an empowered office of the CDS. I would give credit yeah. to a certain extent to this to this government that they have created a DMA, except I don't know what this DMA bureaucracy is. So I'm a little yeah. skeptical. Yeah. We'll get we'll get to that, you know, and what it means for two civil military relationships because of overall done under the DMA structure. But yeah, if I could get back to Admiral Singh, uh, uh, do you think that you know the way the way we look? Yeah, sorry, you wanted to say something? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm glad Amit said I agree with him. You see, uh, we credit the Andaman Command, yes, and uh, but uh, nobody allocated any assets. Only the Navy assets which were there were also available to the, uh, the uh, Commander-in-Chief Andaman Command. There were no other assets. Only bare base concepts were being followed. So nothing got, you know, allotted to that. Even the Coast Guard, yeah. which was supposed to be functioning uh, under the CNC uh, uh, Andaman Command, you know, started playing games and never really integrated fully. And um, yeah. and to add that, Go back a little bit, uh, what Amit said, the, the DGDPS, and I was the last DGDPS anyway, <laughs> Director General Defense Planning Staff, which became CIS by the time we finished this report, is, is uh, was, you know, it was not allowed to function. In fact, people were being placed there and moved out, you know, without even completing their tenure, to uh, not feeling that it should be important enough. Uh, CIS got created, yes, CIS started doing the prioritization and the MOD did uh, uh, refer many of these issues to the CISC and uh, accepted whatever recommendation they, they, they made in part and some not in full. But very interesting point about the DMA, which Amit just made, and actually we, in the task force, we did uh, discuss this, though we did not recommend it. We didn't call it DMA, we call it the Department of Defense Services. And we, it, it, the task force recommended that the, it should be headed by the VCDS, not by the CDS. You see, the point to note here is, and as a service, uh, this is a civil military relationship, DMA is one more department of the MOD. The MOD, the coordinating secretary, will always be the defense secretary. CDS should not have been heading the DMA. And what is now? What is the charter of the DMA? If you look at it closely, is only all the administrative issues which have been passed on to DMA. Yeah. And uh, and nothing else. So yeah. Really uh, speaking, I personally feel it, it is not the right thing to have done. Yeah. We'll come to DMA in little more detail. If you could just sequence this little, you know, differently, if you don't mind. 
Uh, yeah, sure. I want to know know from you, uh, Admiral Singh, uh, in terms of way we, we view our threats now. Uh, you know, you're looking perhaps at an integrated picture that you have you have a border with Pakistan, you have a border with China. But I think what seems to have changed is the perception of the Indian Ocean, uh, what is now being called Indo-Pacific, that you're probably looking at the coastline from from Africa and then you go further towards uh, towards Malacca and perhaps at some stage towards Guam. I'm not sure of that element whether we cross the Indian Ocean and look at that. But it seems to have a, a, a very comprehensive view is now being taken about uh, India's specific uh, in interests and possible threats. And uh, that is being reflected in the kind of structure which is being proposed right now. Would you say that the way we look at the world now, or in terms of our who's of friends and foes and our areas of interest, is far more comprehensive now than before? See, uh, I, I still feel that we, we suffer from uh, you know sea blindness because uh, even what has been stated <laughs> as a no no because you know navy doesn't guard any borders. We we have maritime frontiers, and as you brought out, our frontiers stretch even if you were to leave it to the entire Indian Ocean, even including Southern Indian Ocean, because even our SAR uh, responsibility extend to a large area. Then we have an EEZ. Now we are looking at Asia-Pacific. We got the Quad and we got so many other exercises. We got Navy ships, uh, you know, going to the South yeah. China Sea and beyond. And now look at the statements, if you pay attention to the statement being made by the current Navy chief about the increasing presence of Chinese. They are only showing their, uh, in, uh, where their economic interests are stretching to, and so are ours. So we yeah. have to look at that. We are, we are, we are not just guarding some, uh, you know, a few hundred miles of fence borders here and there or whatever it is. They, it is a large, large space which is available to us, and the future lies in yeah, the resources. Sure, you know, but is so there a greater recognition of what you're saying? Is there greater recognition of that now than it used to be earlier? Uh, in in uh, the sense, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Anit, Anit mentioned about the tri-service uh, Andaman Nicobar Command, and now I think uh, on Andaman itself. Plus, we are looking at Dukam in in uh, in Oman, and you know, Seychelles, Mauritius, in, in a far more focused way uh, than before. So, would you give credit to 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 the present setup for giving recognizing? As you said, that our frontiers, yeah. our maritime frontiers are, are extensive. No, no, they are extensive. By the way, you know, we have the OTR ports. There's nothing. For the last 15 years, we have what we call operational turnaround ports. Some statement made by the uh, CDS that we have to look at overseas bases. Hello, yeah, yeah, this is yeah. not something that you thought of now. We thought of it 15 years ago. And we have arrangements where uh, our ships can go and pick up uh, fuel, supplies, and everything else, and they can make port visits at short notices. We've been doing that for 15 years. But I, you see, unless India think your expeditionary forces that you need to have a bare base concept in Singapore or Philippines or wherever, and we're looking at that, I don't think we are ready for that. We have not reached that stage where we can be looking at it. Our, the the clear the the initial task for the CDS is to uh, you know uh, produce a. a a white paper on the national defense and everything else that contributes. Uh, uh, Anit, if I can is, come to is, you. It's a very, yeah. it's, 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 it's a very, it's, it's a very stretched game. And 
uh, are we setting here artificial timelines or you think that given the urgency since this should have started day before yesterday that it's good to work on a tight three year deadline so that we can we we can make up for the lost time uh if you were to ask me i would say three years is good enough right because i do not think you will ever have the same impetus and the urgency for if you give the bureaucracy as much time as they want they will can kind of prolong it and kick the difficult conversations down the road and i think the, look as we look at jointness there will be institutional winners there will be losers in no country has jointness joint command been painless there will be some pain yep. so we need to go through it i think 3 years is good enough timeline um i don't think you that it ought to be kicked even more down the road in fact i think if done properly within 2 years it should be done 3 years is yep. out of limit i come back uh, to to cds itself as a, as an institution to what i can understand is that while the cds cds is at the apex when it comes to operations he's not the joint operations commander like the joint chief of staff of the united states so you know while you create theater commands but if you do not cap it with a joint chief of staff operationally or a cds in a operational role and leave it to the three services when it comes to operations uh, do you think that's a gap which needs to be addressed uh, and is that desirable to have that model of of it? or or do you think this chairman chief of staff committee you know, this, this is a permanent body now uh, is that good enough for operational coordination of the theater command admiral singh if you can just wait on wait on yeah, this yeah 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 No, I just uh, revert back to what Amit also just said about. Uh, I think uh, this um, the time frame is uh, even two years is is uh, is uh, uh, too tight. I don't think so. You know, the main point is how do you allocate the resources? You know, the permanent resources have to be allocated to a theater command. If you look at the the concept of theater command, which say the Americans or whichever one that you want to take, or the Chinese or the Russians. it is vastly different there are permanent allocation of resources why do you think the andaman command did not take off the the, the way it was envisaged precisely for this because nobody allocated any resources tomorrow you create an air defense command where are they i mean each of the command has the air resources he said okay i i will give you only that much at this point of time i, I need you know uh, ground support resources here because a multi role aircraft how do you do it this has to be carefully thought through and then once you have a theater then they have to permanent allocation of assets which are controlled by the theater commander at the moment is all very hazy how are you going to do it and the very moot point that you just raised about what is the apex body are we going in for the us style of uh, joint chiefs of staff there is a chairman joint chief of staff there is a joint chairman and the three service chiefs are there so we have to think through these things and clearly define i personally feel that the the government should consider or the cds to recommend an, along in consultation in fact all these things are to be in consultation with the other three chiefs they are party to it that it may be a good idea to set up a task force and given a, a you know fixed time frame 6 months or so to define this concept of how we going to create all this and who and what is the command and control of all this and what are the uh, you know allocation of resources which are permanent uh, today i cannot give say asset to one theater command and say tomorrow is required by somebody else he says no those are my assets so this is a yeah. complex issue which 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 has to yeah. be gone through absolutely i mean there's no uh, question that this requires huge debate 
and perhaps a transitional phase because you know you do not have the resources which you want for dedicated data assets for dedicated data command so it's like like the air force for example so you so you can temporarily allocate it to a certain command and use it flexibility for another depending on your on your on your yeah, yeah exactly all these things that we you know deliberated and thought through and uh, it's just promulgating a air defense command then it don't it won't happen <laughs> yeah so, i mean but then again if you i would go with anit that unless you have a deadline i mean it's like journalists I mean, if you have a very fixed timeline perhaps you won't start moving if i can weigh in on this atul if i could have my two i would agree with that on also. the need on this need for perhaps there's something to be thought about for a dedicated task force that looks because all of these are really important questions right and i think he's right yeah. in so starting to raise these questions i think it's good that we are talking about this now i think it's only when you start to raise the question that people will search for an answer if you don't raise the questions if you kick the can ki ye bahut complicated hai this is too it's too complex so we cannot address it then you will never be able to address it absolutely Other large militaries have taken on this problem i am pretty confident on the professionalism and the competence of our civilian and the military leadership to engage with these intellectual discussions and to come up with a solution they perhaps it might not be a perfect solution but we should not let perfect be the enemy of good right because if you look at reforms process it's a continuous reforms process so yes you could stagger it perhaps you know so that you do not unbalance the forces you could stagger it down the line but you still have to say that my end goal is theater compliance if you were to ask no, no i agree with you entirely there is no there is no dispute on that i'm saying this has to be carefully thought through and the very good point Sorry. amit had brought up earlier on that you cannot keep increasing your manpower you know it's it's a joke how much money we are spending on the manpower each of these nations that we have referred to by all of us have reduced the manpower chinese have reduced from 4 and a half million yep. to 1.8 million yep you know it's a, so it's a joke uh, coming and this always been a, a shrinkage of of manpower so which again has to be thought to perhaps you going to save a lot of money in revenue expenditure pensions etc if you streamline the manpower elemented but how do you, how are you going to do that exactly uh, so this is the thought process which has to be completed you cannot create a theater command and still have a huge big you know 1.3 million army no. i'm sorry no. you know you have to look at it after all where is the money going to come from it has to be looked at no nation has not reduced their manpower and we still no. we are still looking at more and more uh, static structures and uh, more and you know expanding the tail we have to look at a different in the west and I, and this is i'm i'm, I'm, I'm touching an army uh, related issues look at the size and strength i said conceptually we have to look at it a slightly different uh, uh, manner and and i agree there enough brain power within our military and the civilian community to you know look at it intelligently and come out with specific answers we absolutely to, you know, we, we have a frame framework now and we have the focus now to to sort of you know discuss and deliberately debate the specific issues which are being raised without that framework uh, you know it, we wouldn't have been talking what we're talking today i come back to, to to another point which is the dma you know specifically to more 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 detail i mean if you really look at it with the cds heading the dma department of military affairs and then you also have uh, uh, the sisc wearing a double hat as the secretary 
transformation and coordination. And then you have uh, an additional secretary uh, taken out of uh, from, from DIA, uh, also having an operational element into it. So you, you, you're having a, a system where the armed forces are really in the cockpit, so to speak. And then you have the under them, under the you have the JS Army, JS Navy, and JS Air, which are again from the armed forces. And then you have two from from the civilian uh, bureaucracy. So in terms of uh, what we are used to, uh, Anit, if you can comment first on this, uh, do you think this is too much or too extensive overhaul, uh, which could create dissonance and disruption within the system? Is it too drastic? Or do you think there was no other option? <laughs> That's a really good question, Atal. Um, so as I said earlier on my views about the DIMA, I, I have not seen anywhere any scholarship, any serious scholarship, and I, to the best of my own kind of, and perhaps I don't know it is out there, anyone who has really articulated this this bureaucracy out, who has ex actually explained to me what is, because, and even more importantly, I can't think of any other democracy in the world which has a DMA-like structure. Right. Yeah. So if you as a scholar, I study institutions, I study systems when I cannot think of any other country with a similar system. I'm a little skeptical. Right. So I'm inherently I'm like, so what are the model here? What is the precedent? Where are we going with this? So I've got my guard up on this. Having said yeah. that, I think there is a fair degree of skepticism among some people that the DMA is giving a lot of powers to the military. Right. And they have put them in the in the cockpit, so as to speak. But perhaps this is what you got when the civilian bureaucracy for the longest time has been dragging its feet on trying to have a more rational right. model of civil military relations. Yes. And I think after a while, perhaps somebody lost their patience with the civilian bureaucracy and said, OK, let's make. So this makes it even more incumbent upon the military to get its act together and to serve this office well. Right? And to serve this office well from the perspective of the entire government of India edifice. So it serves the office well in terms of not just effectiveness, which is the most essential consideration for the armed forces, but also efficiency. Um, and so yeah. now we have to ask deeper questions of are we preparing our offices to actually assume in terms of its education structures to actually assume positions in this DMA? And I think the yeah. short answer to that, if you were to ask me, is no, because I think professional military education within the armed forces is still geared far too much towards operation and training and not enough towards education. And so... You, yeah, just to interrupt you for a second, can you think of uh, any other country, you know, when it comes to education or where your 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 armed forces personnel are acquainted with bigger issues, maybe foreign policy? So the two things, and I've been arguing about this in article elsewhere, the two essential things are one is you need to encourage your officers to get a wider education and not just go to Army War College, Naval War College, Air War College, which just teaches you. And two is you, you need your faculty to be composed of civilians also. Because unfortunately, our faculty at all these war colleges in Mao, at Staff College, is composed completely, almost completely of military officers. And that creates its own echo chamber. So when I look at other PME institutions, I look at the UK, I look at the US, I look at European countries. Education means awareness of the wider societal trends, not just about, you know, and unfortunately, when you are not exposed to a wider issues of society and the problem be developing it, for you, everything becomes about the military and national security. 
and that's a very yeah. that's a very um i think it's a very unfair way to look at india right and so yeah. i i've been advocating for a long time that look and there has been talk about creating an indu an indian like the national defense university but as far as i know apart from land acquisition there hasn't been any work on that and also the indu should not be the exclusive preserve of the armed forces because the armed forces yep. are not the experts on higher education uh, so i've been saying that look we need to have a greater discussion between civilian policy makers academics military officers to think about what sort of education are we going to give to officers for the next 10 15 20 years so that kind of a, a, a training in terms of you know broadening your horizons what level do you think when you look at the armed forces should it begin should it be the higher level uh, you know well, i think at this area, point of time as far as up? yeah so, please go ahead. so at this point of time i think the first time that they really and i've and i've had the pleasure and the honor to be invited to speak at these kind of academy so i have interacted with them they are very good professional um students and they are very good faculty members but i think it should start at all levels right but specifically from colonel onwards in all three of the services because after that rank you're not going to fight you're not going to physically fight in in kind of most scenarios you're not going to physically fight it's all about three functions one is anticipating the future two is preparing you know for the future three is hr functions so So all these three it's really about intellectualization and that intellectual emphasis and that intellectual growth is not emphasized um and it only kicks in at ndc and by ndc i would argue even though i'm a little perhaps unfair in this by ndc people have already got their um kind of like the world views established it's very hard to change them change. to think strategically when right. all along it's been tactics and operations just for 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 our listeners ndc is national uh, uh, defense college uh, national defense defense college which would be brigadier and above i mean that's the that's the kind of ranks where people are introduced to ndc is it yes yes sorry yeah. i should have i should have i should no, have it's fine so uh, anit uh, we are just running out of time right now so thank you so much for joining in and making such substantial points and contribution to the show uh, i do hope that we we touch base again uh whether on this format or somewhere else and thank you very much again and thanks also to vice admiral uh, madanjit singh for putting putting in his uh, his understanding and his perspective on this extensive reforms that are taking place uh, in our armed forces thank you both